707, welcome to Today's Entrepreneur, presented by Fuller Landau, a program about the entrepreneurial spirit that drives Quebec business. My name is Dan Delmar, along with Fuller Landau's Josh Miller. Josh, how are you? I am excellent. Thank you, Dan. Great. And our guests this evening, Corrine and Murray Van Egmond of Edgewood Florist. Welcome, guys. Thank, Thank you. you for, Thank having, you for us. having us. Yeah, no. Thank you. Funny story about our guest tonight, Josh. <laughs> I used does to it have anything to do with you, Dan? It does. It's all about me, as usual. Uh, I used to deliver flowers for Edgewood Florist when I was in CJEP. I had a great time. And so tonight, we're going to get to know Corey and Corrine uh, uh, and Murray. <laughs> you know her that well. Huh? That well, I can't even pronounce her name. <laughs> well, it's certainly, it, it's, it's another great story, uh, Dan, as, uh, as we typically have. It's a business that's been around for well over 50 years, started in the mid-50s, uh, and has certainly evolved. What it was at the beginning is not what it is today. And that's the interesting part about the story. So, But I think to, under, to better understand where they started, let's find out exactly where they are today. So I'll, I'll turn and I'll ask, and either Corinne or Murray, feel free to jump in and answer. What is Edgewood Floors today? What do you do? What do you provide to your customers? Well, we're a retail florist and a full retail florist. And uh, we provide flowers for all family occasions, weddings, uh, engagements, bar mitzvahs, parties, get well, holidays, and, and, and uh, corporate as well as professional events. Now, you specified retail. Does that mean retail, it's not, as a florist, it's not only and always about retail? Where did, you, where did you get started? Have you always been in the retail side of this business? We, when we first started, when my dad and his partner f first started, they were primarily growers with a very small segment of retail, but primarily they were a growing operation. They grew flowering plants and they provided those plants to retail flower shops in Montreal. And is that, how different is that and, and why? Because you you don't grow today, or you don't you grow very little today. Um, why the switch? What happened from one day to the next? Well, basically, what happened is the community where the business was grew. When they when they were first there, it was a very small, a small community, Cote Saint Luke, and actually it was called the village of Cote Saint Luke for a period of time. And they were growers. There was a lot of fields and uh, not a lot of houses as there are today. So they were a growing operation. And as the community um, started to grow, people moving in, houses being built, people would come by and want to buy something. So you had that small retail aspect of it. As the community grew though, the retail started to become larger and they were still growing. And as you well know, well, as a lot of people well know, growing has different demands from being a retail florist so it was a real juggling act now this is not a business you started this was a previous generation do you know how your how the previous generation got into this business previous generation meaning your father my father how he got into this business mm -hmm. my father was in uh, the flower business in holland where he's from he, my grandfather was a bulb grower and my father is one of um, one of eight children, six boys, who helped in the uh, tulip growing business. And as you can imagine, as the boys get older, a business needs to be able to support many families. And in this case, my father, along with his older brother, who had already gone to Canada, decided to follow his brother to Canada to see if there were more opportunities for him. And he worked for a grower 
uh, in Saint Laurent, and then he met his uh, partner at a at a, a social function, and they heard. I believe the story is right. They heard that there was this place for sale, and that's how he came across Edgewood Nurseries at that time. So this wasn't always a, a Van Egmond only business. He had a partner that he would that he had worked with for many years. Yes, he did. Yes. Now, and uh, well, how long have you have you both been involved in the business? This goes back to to when your children, right, Marie? Well, let's see. I started probably about age of seven going in you're doing oops sorry um cleaning up shoveling when you're small like that you do all the little menial tasks or whatever eventually doing you know something a little bit more responsibility if we were planting uh you know i would be filling the pots up with soil and then moving them into the greenhouse and then you move up to putting the seedlings in and what have you and eventually as we grew away from that part and started taking on more of the retail responsibilities now, was it assumed that you were going to continue in this family business? I, I can't speak for Kareen, uh, but for myself, uh, I don't think it was assumed. I think uh, I had, I was deciding whether I would be going to school or not. And I had actually gone to Toronto to uh, go to college there for a brief, uh, uh, if I could say a brief moment. Uh, and at which time I returned and said I wanted to stay involved with the business. And so that is uh, coming on probably about uh, more than 25 years now. And Corinne, was it, a, was it a choice for you? At what point did you get into this business? It sounded like Marie has been there for quite a number of years uh, yeah. doing many, many different tasks. Was it the same story for you? For me, it was uh, helping out at busy times. I would come to help out. And then... Um, Probably about 25 years ago, you know, I, w I would help out a little bit more. And when we computerized, uh, Murray, I believe when we computerized is when I came back to, you know, like a couple of days, there, yeah. a couple of days a week. And 14 years ago, I came back full time in a full time capacity to uh, help look after the business with my brother. Now, again, is this is this by choice? Does the business, you know, as a family business grows and, and or even changes or evolves, you know, sometimes there's a need for others. Sometimes the, the family members kind of have to step in uh, just to just to keep it going. Did you feel that, that it was a, a necessity for you to step in? Could it have been an outside person that came back into the business? That's a tough question to answer. I, I don't feel that I had to step in. I chose to step in. Uh, I was asked by my father's partner to come back and I chose to do so. My brother was there, my father was there, so I just felt like it was a natural thing for me to do. Interesting that your father's partner was the one to ask, not your father. Uh, my father's partner had become ill and he asked to see me and he said, you know, it would be good if you could come back and help out because I'm not well. Mm -hmm. And uh, more about that transition when, uh, when we come back. Today's Entrepreneur with our guests, Corrine and Murray Van Egmond of Edgewood Florist. 718 on CJAD, Today's Entrepreneur presented by Fuller Landau, inspiring stories from outstanding business people, Dan Delmar, along with Fuller Landau's Josh Miller, and our guest this evening, Corrine and Murray Van Egmond of Edgewood Florist, a business that's been around for a very long time, since the 50s, uh, when your parent, when your father took it over, and uh, he had a partner, uh, Corrine and Murray. Tell me about the transition there, uh, because this business uh, went from being a partnership between your dad and another man, and uh, and it's now you two. So, so take me through a bit of the history there. 
what happened was, like Kareem was explaining, was um, our father's partner got sick, uh, and he asked Kareem to come back to help. It would be a good thing for her to come in and uh, and help out. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, and then I had been in the business uh, basically since I got out of high school, with the exception of being at uh, college in Toronto and uh, going to CJEP a couple of times. The um, you know what? It was quite a natural progression, I think. Uh, the first year that he was sick, uh, our father's partner, um, we were starting to take on more responsibility, Corinne and I, learning a little bit more about the ins and outs of the business. I had a little bit of experience already, but that was very surface experience. Not the real in-depth things, such as financial, dealing with uh, employees and what have you. What was the hardest area to learn? What was the, the newest and most difficult area to kind of wrap your head around and, and say, you know what, as a boss, as a leader, I really have to deal with this area. I have to get the knowledge of it super well. I think in my case, I can't speak for Kareen, but I'd work alongside these people uh, who are now our, our, are still our employees for years. And yes, I was the, you know, the son of the boss, so to say. Uh, but going from the transition from being side by side with these people to actually having to uh, be in charge of them, uh, being their boss. That took its toll a little bit on me, uh, getting used to it, getting used to that idea. It's awkward at first. Did you have a similar style of managing the people to your father and his partner, or was it drastically different? I think it was it was different. Murray and I were younger, and we, I think, could relate to the employees maybe in a different way, but we just had our own style and we managed, we managed through it. <laughs> what is your style? Think, is it more democratic or more autocratic? I like to think it's democratic. I think if you look back, uh, not saying one is worse than the other, but I think at these days, if you look at how our father and his partner ran things, it was a little bit more old fashioned style, old world, uh, old European, if I can say that. Mm, that's uh, what they know. That's what they know, exactly. And uh, I think we bring to it, like you said, Dan, a little bit more of a democratic view to it. Mm. Now, what about the roles that everybody played? I mean, your your, your dad and his partner kind of, uh, I presume, had their roles evolve and they each kind of dealt with, there might have been overlap, but they might have dealt with some specific areas of the business. Did those, did those roles kind of pass along to you today, uh, you, uh, Marie and, and Corinne, do you split your roles? Is, that, is there a clear definition? Yes, I, yes. Is right. that important? I, I, sorry. I believe it's important. Uh, I bring to the business, uh, I'd like to say, where my strengths are. And in, and Murray brings his strengths. In our case, we're very lucky. The weaknesses that I have, Murray has as his strengths. And m the weaknesses that Murray has, he feels that I have my strengths there. So we kind of mesh well. Do you ever disagree? <laughs> We have our disagreements, but we talk it out. For the most part, uh, we pretty well agree on everything. The odd time, and he'll look at me and give me the eye, and I'll look at him and pull and the, the and, same, and then, worse and then pull the the, uh, the the age, the seniority thing, because I am older than him. <laughs> and is I there in in your partnership? Uh, you know, is there is are there defined responsibilities? Uh, do you guys stick to your domains, or is there ever any crossover? There? I think uh, we keep to our domain so to say um, but I still like to know what 
what's going on from Kareem's end, and she definitely wants to know what's going on from my end. I always felt uh, the old analogy, I, I use it quite often, is that uh, she sees the trees and I see the forest. Um, she's good at details. I'm terrible at details. Anybody that knows me, I don't want to know the details. I want to know the big picture. She keeps me on course that way. And notwithstanding the operational side of it, I'm, I'm sure there's a, a legal and shareholders agreement side to, side to it yeah. that you've had to deal with today and I'm sure as, as your father and his partner had to deal with. And when we come back to the break, uh, I'm interested to hear how that evolved. Today's entrepreneur on CJAD 800, it is 723. Kareen and Murray Van Egmond, our guest from Edward Florist, tonight on Today's Entrepreneur. And uh, Josh, we're talking about uh, the family business, working with family and, and moving on and, uh, and passing on the business, which, uh, which can be challenging. Well, especially when you have partners and there's an illness that, that comes about, unexpectedly or not, it's planning ahead. It's what happens when you need to physically pass on those shares to the to the next group or the next party or the next generation. And I'm interested to hear in in your case or in the Edgewood case with your father and his partner, what happened and, and what you learned from it. Well, what happened was uh, my father and his partner had the foresight, of course, to have a partnership agreement. That was very important. Uh, so what had happened when my father's partner fell ill and as he was diagnosed uh, with a terminal illness and undergoing treatment, we decided that we need to look at this agreement and understand it. So we um, ha had a lawyer who helped us interpret what it meant and then to be prepared. Uh, and obviously when uh, uh, my father's partner passed away, then that started the whole uh, buyback of the shares that belonged to his partner and uh, we started that process. Was the agreement clear? Was there anything that you either took away from it or learned when you created your own agreement between the two of you, the two siblings, what did you take away or what did you add in or what did you say, you know, that was an important part, I better include that? I think it was very clear what it said. It was a simple agreement. Uh, it wasn't complicated, but back in the time when they had that drawn up, uh, it, it was pretty clear-cut. No gray areas, right? It was, it was very straightforward. Not really. It was very straightforward. Now, what do you take into your current arrangement? I mean, your, the, the previous owners were two unrelated people. They didn't grow up together. They worked together. But now, you're, the two of you, you're two siblings. How do you bring that? Do you, do you treat it with a certain level of objectivity? Or are you too close to each other? Uh, there's, <laughs> that's, that's a, a good hard question. One. I, I think we look at it this way, that Karina and I got into business together. Uh, I think the contract is basically drawn up with that in mind, that it's the two of us. Um, we, we, we presently don't have uh, a succession plan, um, something that we need to look at. The um, still early, still very early. Yes, <laughs> we hope, we hope. But as, yes. you know, your your father's partner may have thought it was too, you know, too soon too. That's true. That's true. You never know. That's true. But I think when you're in business with someone, it's very important that you have uh, some kind of shareholder agreement in place. It's never too early for that. But even I'm if you are siblings, even if you are siblings, yeah. At work, we are we are partners. Um, I always dress her as if I'm talking to somebody on the phone. I, so I have to talk to my partner about that. I don't have to say my sister. 
I just have to talk to my partner about it, and that keeps it on the professional level at all times. And that's not something that just comes naturally. You have to learn. You have to learn that you're business partners, and you you uh, adjust as you go along. And planning ahead becomes a big part of your daily activity. Like, how, do you do you formally like you know you're, you're so close? Do you formally talk to each other? Yes. Do you set up regular meetings or do you just kind of pass each other, you know, by the by the roses and say, hey, we have to deal with this issue? That's happened many times where, you know, we've passed each other. We got to talk about this or we got to talk about that. And if the day is very, very busy, sometimes you don't have the time. We have had to say to each other, we need to make time. We have to have a planning meeting. We need to sit down. We need to go over this or we need to go over that. And we try to we try to sit down every day. Uh, if we can't do that, at least at least once a week, that we sit down and, and you know go over issues at hand. And you, and you can't you can't downplay you know Dan. We've heard a lot of partners here, and there's a lot of them that are informal. But the ones that we find that are most successful are the ones that do set aside some time to talk about their issues, to talk about strategy going forward. It's hugely important to do everything on the fly. Is not a recipe for success. And what happens when a, uh, a business that's been in one location for decades decides to pick up and move? Well, that's, uh, we'll get to that in a, in a second on Today's Entrepreneur with Corinne and Murray Van Egmond of Edgewood Florist. Welcome back to Today's Entrepreneur, presented by Fuller Landau, a program about the entrepreneurial spirit that drives Quebec business. My name is Dan Delmar, along with Fuller Landau's Josh Miller, and our guests this evening, Corinne and Murray Van Egmond of Edgewood Florist. And we're talking about this family business, Josh, that has been around since 1956. Uh, more interesting is that the uh, what they used to occupy these iconic greenhouses in Cone St. Luke, and those greenhouses were there since the 1920s. And just recently, uh, you guys moved. Now, how do you uh, how did you deal with that move? Given that you had this business that was, I mean, you couldn't you could toward the use established. I think is an understatement. Almost an institutional type yeah. location. Uh, how did you deal with that uh, w- with taking that establishment and and moving down the road in Montreal West? I think it's something that we talked about for quite a number of years. Uh, it was nice having the, the greenhouses. It's always, you know, very nice and warm in the winter there and very, very hot in the summer. The, uh, um, the if I can say the usefulness of the greenhouses over the years started to decline as we sold less plants and concentrated more on the cut flowers, flower arrangements, flower vases, uh, the different events we would do, like weddings, bar mitzvahs, and and such, the the amount of fla- uh, the pardon me, the amount of plants that we sold was on the decline. We had a very large amount of space dedicated to the greenhouses. It was it's very hard to change the actual layout of the greenhouse to be a bit more accommodating to what you want to expand to be. Uh, if you wanted to sit down and talk to somebody, you know, about their wedding. Uh, in a nice location, uh, nice seating and what have you, much like what we have now, it's not possible. Uh, you'd bring them in, let's say, mid-July and talk in, in the work area, many people walking around, people coming in buying flowers. It was hard to have sort of a, a intimate conversation with somebody about their wedding. So it was very much an operational decision. I believe so. I'm sorry, I believe so. I know so, pardon me. <laughs> Now, now, how do you get, you know, you've been in a location for so long. Let's flip to the marketing side of it. How do you get the word out there? Is it a, how do you make sure that people follow you? How do you, how do you just take this, this institutional area, institutional business that's been around 55 years plus and get them to follow? 
Well, we hired a professional to help us with communicating, you know, our big move and helped us get the word out there and promote our new location and get us through. Now, have your have your clients or customers changed over the years? I mean, how has online business come into play? How, uh, I believe you have a website. How much time and effort and energy do you spend in that website to try and make sure your customers still find you and still reach you? Uh, much of our business is based around a telephone and website, and we're looking at expanding our website as well. The um, You were saying that the, the sort of the change of, of the customer uh, we've seen, especially myself, we've seen our customers have kids. Those kids have grown up. Uh, they've had their, you know, if you're in Cote St. Luke or Hampstead, bar mitzvah, what have you, and you get married. Uh, many of the kids have moved away to other cities. And they will call for Mother's Day or for Jewish holidays, what have you, to place orders for flowers. And we're very lucky in that regards. We have a loyal clientele with family who have moved away but still call us because you know we did their flowers for their bar mitzvah we did weddings and they always come back to us which is nice we're very grateful for that now you're a single location there must be uh, I guess distribution possibilities other than your own location have you have you kind of dealt with it you know the FTD types of the world like how do you how do you kind of get in uh, to be part of these association to kind of where you can improve your top line well we are a member of FTD and we have been uh, for a number of years well over 25 years 35 35 years and uh, FTD helps you especially you know if you want to grow they offer um, they offer a membership to you which includes uh, being listed in their directory Uh, you have you can get a um, um, equipment from them, t- um, uh, computer equipment. You can buy product from them. They're very, they're they're very diverse in in what they offer, and they also help to uh, market you as well. You know, you advertise in in their directory. Is it worth it? I mean, do you ever measure the benefit of your marketing efforts? Is it too difficult? Is it too... I think it, it is one of those things I don't think we've given enough time to. And I think that now that we have hopefully a little bit more time in our new location uh, to expand into that, that's the that's what we want to start looking at. It's they're, they're beneficial to be a member of them because they help support you and they, they, offer, um, they offer a lot of resources for you to help your business. Now you're you're in a you're in a product business, but you're also in a service business. And as you've grown and as you've taken over, um, do you get picky with your customers? Have you ever you know dealt with? Uh, uh, have you ever tried to impose your own will or or taken a request that maybe was a little too uh, bizarre that you decided not to? Well, I think there was <laughs> there there was one request we had that sort of stands out. Um, we had a request for someone uh, from someone to send another person a dozen roses in the va- in a vase. The the thing was that the rose had to be dead. They had to be really bad looking, <laughs> and uh, and it wasn't for good reasons. It was for something they didn't really like this person, and they wanted to send that message to them. 
but we felt that no this is we refused the order we said we cannot do this order for you it was not in our best interest and really it doesn't convey a good sense that flowers are supposed to be whether it's for in times of sympathy or in times of celebration family celebrations you want the flowers to add to the joy of the event uh, or in terms of sympathy let's say a funeral you want it to bring some comfort which is what you of course need to be known for have there been you've been in this industry for many decades have there been changes in the industry how the impact of the big box stores of the of the constant barrage of of people trying to sell little bouquets or sell little plants how's that impacted your business and the personal service that you offer that that's impacted us a lot that's something that you see now the big box stores the depeners the grocery chains they're carrying all types of cut flowers and flowering plants and they're basically lost leaders for these businesses but not for us we ha- have to be we have to be very cognizant of the fact that customer service quality of product is the most important thing for us so we have to be we have to be one step above with the customer service yes you can go to a corner store and buy a flowering plant at x amount of dollars why is it more maybe if you come to us you know we deliver we dress it up like a gift we provide a quality product and we stand behind our product now to come back to technology are you using any technology to help you improve your service you know to contact them to remind them to do whatever well we do we do have a great system which we have acquired through ftd uh, a point of sale system and this allows us to do marketing it allows us to um, put a lot of information about the customer in as far as uh, uh, anniversary dates birthdays we offer we can offer a reminder service that is free to our customers to remind them of when they have events coming up to send them flowers the the system also helps us to be more accurate more efficient we have delivery confirmation that's sent out automatically to people who have given us their emails and we can also promote ourselves in in and market ourselves with the system as well is this a little about the computerization you were referring to earlier well when we first computerized way back uh, it was merely for our Invoicing. accounts receivable. Mm-hmm. Our accounts receivable at the time, the system uh, was a very simple system, and we weren't able to do what we can do now. And do you do you feel that you know, Dan? As we talk to them, and we and we're we're hearing these the, this business, this flower business that has been you know around for centuries. And how do you bring it into today? And how do you deal with with the, the younger customers today that are online? as as well as dealing with with certainly the the trade and the transition of flowers getting to the next level getting to retail it's absolutely amazing what technology can do but that being said you heard it from Corinne earlier it's about the service it's about reminding people it's about saying you know flowers will constantly be a personal product it's something that people are, you know, it comes from the heart. Sometimes it comes from the mind if you feel that you have to, but oftentimes it comes from the heart. And, and that's the service that, that I think they continue to provide. Um, and embracing that and dealing with technology, and I'm sure there's probably a lot more that you can do, uh, is something certainly something that, uh, that entrepreneurs should absolutely grasp a hold of. 
And speaking of uh, the service, we're going to talk about HR issues after the break and some basic tips uh, that are essential for business owners when dealing with HR issues. And Micheline Mayette, who is our HR expert, will join us after this. And speaking of HR, guys, quickly, I mentioned I work for you guys in, in CJEP. <laughs> Was I a good flower delivery boy or, or a mediocre one? You can yeah, be honest with excellent. me. You okay. were yeah. excellent. Thanks, guys. <laughs> more, a, more during the break. <laughs> 745 on CJAD. Inspiring stories from outstanding business people, Dan Delmar, along with Josh Miller of Fuller Landau. Uh, and our guests this evening, Corrine and Murray Van Egmond of Edgewood Florist. And we bring into the conversation Micheline Mayette. She deals with HR at Fuller Landau. And Micheline, we're talking about HR issues uh, with Corrine and Murray, of course. Uh, and can you throw out some, some really essential HR tips that every uh, entrepreneur should be aware of? Um, well, we were talking earlier about uh, when it comes to HR policies. Um, now, a lot of small, medium-sized companies tend to not want to put policies in writing, or maybe they just don't have the time or the number of employees. But there's actually a couple of policies that small, medium-sized companies really should have in place. One of them has to do with psychological harassment, because this law has been around in Quebec now for a few years. And companies have to realize that they have two obligations. The first is to prevent psychological harassment, and the second is to put an end to it if it happens. Um, so putting an end to psychological harassment, if they are aware of it, it's kind of the more obvious one. But where it comes to prevention is actually having a policy in place and letting the employees know what they should do if there is a case of psychological harassment within the company. Um, now, so, now, I'm sure that, you know, as much as the employers, you know, need to prevent something as we live in Quebec, uh, I'm sure the employee has rights and, and if the employer doesn't do anything. So what, what's their recourse? If the employer doesn't do what he's supposed to do, what's the employee's recourse? The employee can make a complaint to uh, La Commission des Normes de Travail for psychological harassment. So this has been, I believe, since 2006, something covered. Um, in case you're wondering what psychological harassment is, because it's kind of a vague term, it actually encompasses psychological harassment. So a lot of people think of intimidation. You hear it a lot right now uh, happening in high schools or in schools, but it's actually something that can happen in the workplace as well. Um, so there's that. There's also physical harassment. So actually, you know, punching somebody or hitting somebody or pushing. And there's sexual harassment also now that falls under this. Um, so there used to be nothing in Les Dames Travail, but now they actually have included this in. And this is not recent. This has been uh, for a little while now. So with this policy, it's actually letting employees know what it is. So people think harassment is, is something that's overt, you know, that is obvious. But with psychological harassment, it's actually not necessarily that obvious at all times. It could be um, something small, like every time you go to give your boss a file, they look at you, they sigh, and they roll their eyes back. So if they did this on a repeated basis, it could actually constitute psychological harassment because one of part of the definition is that generally it's something that is repeated. It can be one incidence of a severe a case of psychological harassment, but generally it's a repeated conduct over time. Is there any requirement for the employee to notify the employer? Like, what if the employer doesn't even realize that he rolls his eyes, you know? That's uh, why a policy is essential for companies, because how do you prevent it? Yes, you can, I guess, talk to people about it, but when you do stuff verbally, you don't have proof that you actually did it. So by having a policy, or if it's really a small company that doesn't have a policy manual, to have a memo that you sent out once a year or post on uh, the employee bulletin board, just kind of explaining what is psychological harassment and how, uh, what employees should do should they feel that you know, they're, they've been harassed or that they even see a colleague be harassed. Because sometimes the individual does not want to speak up 
um, but maybe a colleague will come and speak for them. So be as proactive as possible. Exactly. What's another tip on your list? Another one would be with regards to electronic resources, so computers generally. Um, one thing that's important is for companies to have it in writing that employees should have no expectation of privacy when it comes to using the company's electronic resources. A lot of you know, companies will assume that this is my computer, it belongs to my company, so whatever an employee does on it is my, you know, it belongs to me also. Now this could be a problem if, for example, uh, you want to terminate an employee because of something they did uh, through their email, the company may not even be able to use anything that was, you know, was transmitted by email if the employee says, well, I thought I had an expectation of privacy. So by doing it in writing, you actually remove this. So it's all about communication. Yes, definitely. Things in, in writing. writing. Things in writing. That's what <laughs> we writing. always tell entrepreneurs. Today's entrepreneur on CJAD, Corrine and Maria Van Eggman, our guests from Edward Florist, will have their uh, piece of advice for today's entrepreneur after the break. 7.55, our guest this evening on today's entrepreneur, Corrine and Maria Van Eggman of Edgewood Florist, and Michonne Mayette, she's the HR director at Floor Landau. And Josh, we're talking about HR issues, and uh, we're uh, going on to computers now, and uh, and some interesting challenges there. Well, you know, Micheline, you know, you said it very well that you have there are certain privacy issues when you have your team members or your employees or your staff working on computers that belong to the people uh, belong to the employers and the and, and the company now with social media and with the youth um, and employers that I'm sure get frustrated with the amount of time that their employees spend on the computer not on pro productive issues but on Facebook or on Twitter or whatever what do you suggest for those employers well, again, if it comes down to wanting to monitor where an employee goes on the computer, again, it comes down to having a written policy that employees, so employees are aware that the employer can monitor their activities on the computer um, so that it's done in writing. And even it's suggested that you send it out on a regular basis. So you don't send it out once and then 10 years later, pull it out again. It should be communicated regularly to them. Um, so again, it comes back to communication. Exactly. Do you do you guys, you know, Corinne and, and Murray, do you believe in an employee, maybe not a full employee manual, but certain rules of conduct that you set out for your for your people? Well, yes, yeah, uh, we do have a uh, a booklet on uh, on conduct uh, included with our employee handbook. I think it's a very important thing to have, and that everybody understands uh, exactly what's expected of them. I usually suggest that uh, companies have at least a handbook of some kind when a lot of entrepreneurs are scared of, first of all, putting anything in writing. But when you start talking about manuals, you know, they say this isn't the government. I don't want to have a 400 page policy manual, but I don't think, you know, you don't have to exaggerate either. I think a small handbook could be useful for both the employer and the employees. Is there a rule of thumb? Maybe, uh, you know, if you have two employees, okay, don't bother having much much in writing, but what about, you know, maybe 10, 15, 20, 50? Usually I talk, talk about 15 and over is when they should really start looking at it. Under that, I'd say it's optional, but it's always a good tool to have. It's, uh, it, listen, policy manuals uh, and employees and dealing with them are always uh, an interesting matter because perception is just as important yes. as reality and sometimes even much more important. And as we come to uh, towards the end of the show, you know, we'll kind of turn to Murray and Corinne and in their many years of experience, not only with the previous generation, but their own and possibly a future. What what one piece of advice would you give to today's entrepreneur? 
I think that uh, it's very important, no matter what size your company is, to make sure that any of the legal aspects, that you get help from a professional, whether it be in the, in the accounting and in the legal areas, to get their advice on making sure that you protect your company and yourselves as well. And I also believe that Murray mentioned this, and I'll <laughs> let him tell you about what we would do differently. What we would do differently. I think, uh, you know, the Internet is a, is a terrific tool, and I, and I sort of wish we had the foresight um, to have used it for marketing much earlier. Uh, many of our uh, fellow florists got in really at the, if you want to think, the advent of uh, of the internet, not advent of the internet, but you look back, Google just uh, celebrated its 14th anniversary, I believe mm -hmm. it was the other day. Um, many of them started getting into it before Google became a verb. And uh, that's sort of something I wish we had looked at earlier, but now going forward, I know that's where we want to go. But at the same time, um, not only florists, but retailers in general and, and businesses have to remember that this is still I, it's a client-based business. You 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 have to keep in mind the client. It doesn't matter what kind of technology you have. You got to have all the technology, but if you don't have the personal aspect to it, it you you can really lose a customer easily. And just as we end, Dan, I'll just say strategy. That's what my takeaway is. You cannot downplay strategy enough. You constantly got to think about it going forward. Michelle Mayette uh, from HR at Fuller Landau, thanks very much. And of course, Korean and Murray Van Egmond of Edgewood Florist. Thank you guys for coming in tonight on today's Entrepreneur. And Josh, we're back in two weeks. Have a great night.